How are you guys doing today? Y'all doing all right? Man, it's so good to see you. You know, this service gets larger and larger each week, and I, I think it's because I keep telling everybody that I don't get better uh, with more services, that I give the best to the 830. So I think that's why the service is, is, is getting bigger. Thank you guys so much for being here. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time or the first time in a while, my name's Stephen, and we are going to jump into week two of a series we started last week called This Means War, we're together, we're going to be taking a look at really what we learned last week is ultimately the war on God and how it has kind of uh, bled over into every other area of our culture and specifically how we as Christians are to think about our lives biblically and what's happening in our world spiritually. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. I'm going to get right into it. I don't have a whole lot of time for a recap. We're going to cover a lot of things. Last week, we talked about the war on God. It's a war that we learned that isn't new, even though we have iPhones. It's a war that has been raging uh, for centuries uh, against God, against the creative order. That's what we're seeing in our world. Today, we're going to build on top of that. How does the enemy war against God? Well, he wars against truth. Today we're going to talk about the war on truth. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19, God says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. There are only two options with God. He goes on to say, choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Another translation says, oh, that you would choose Life. Did you know God desires for each and every one of us to choose life? Each one of us, every single day, we have the option between our way and God's way. God says, I'm your creator. You're my creation. Your life will only work to the extent that it's in my hands, but we can only have true relationship if I give you a choice. You've got to choose. My prayer through this series is that you would choose God's way. My prayer for you during this series is that as Christians, you would be empowered, equipped with the knowledge, with the revelation of God's word to be able to engage the culture wars all around us. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, God says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. This was written to a set of priests who weren't doing their job. My job as a pastor is to make sure you have an understanding of the Bible to teach you, to help you grow. That's the, that's the role of the local church. It's not just to sit back and continually, you know, be nice, be nice, be nice. Let's get along, right? No, no, it, it, it's meant to prepare and equip you. This is a training center for you to learn how to shine a bright light and preserve the world on the outside of this place. During this series, we're making the biblical case that Christians cannot sit idly by while the enemy wars in our culture. We cannot be Switzerland. Okay, You have to choose. Choose this day. I've set before you life and death. Last week we talked about how the war, wars in our world are deeply spiritual and they're directed at God. We made this statement and it's a very important statement. God doesn't bleed, but the devil's out for blood. He wants to hurt God by what? Hurting you and hurting me. That's how he does it. This war is not new. It's been raging for thousands and thousands of year, years. Today, we're going to build on the war against God, and we're going to talk about how the enemy uses deception right, to manipulate and distort uh, uh, absolute truth. And as a result, when we abandon absolute truth, our world gets turned upside down. I want you to think about some of these ideas 
Uh, if you've been through high school, you've probably heard them. If you turned on the news, you've probably heard these phrases. Think about the, word, the, the, the idea of inalienable rights. Think about freedom of speech. Think about religious liberty. Think about all men and women created equal. Think about individual responsibility, innocent until proven guilty, sanctity of life. Where do you think all of these ideas came from? The United States of America? Nope. The West in general? Nope. Europe? No. They came from the Bible. From Jewish and Christian men and women over hundreds and thousands or hundreds and thousands of years building their civilization based on the teachings of the one true God. His name is Yahweh in scripture. And you know, as we open up and we start talking about truth, I think it's important that you, we start with this. I think it's important that we're, we're truthful with each other first. We're truthful about where our world has really come because our civilization has been built on the precepts and the principles of the Judeo-Christian ethic and the word of God, the Bible. You know, our nature as human beings is always to see the glass half full. I don't know if you've noticed that. You know, our, our, the sin in us helps to see the best in ourselves and the worst in every other thing that's going around us. So, so I think it's important as we talk about truth, we, like, we, get, we get maybe factual for a little bit. Is the world any better today than it's ever been? Is Western civilization, is how we've built, is it, how does it measure up to any other culture, even to itself over time and over history? You know, at the end of 2017, a Forbes magazine survey asked, all things considered, do you think the world is getting better or worse? The results were predictably bleak. In Sweden, uh, one of the most advanced cultures materialistically anyways, one of the most uh, you know, progressive cultures, you might say, only 10% of the people there thought things were getting better. In the U.S., it was actually only 6%. It's interesting that hardly anyone thinks that our world is getting any better. And yet, when you study the facts of what it used to be compared to today, they show otherwise. In a powerful study entitled The Short History of Global Living Conditions and Why It Matters That We Know It by Max Rozier, an economist at the University of Oxford and the founder of Our World in Data, we learned that on virtually all key dimensions of human material well-being, poverty, literally health, freedom, and education, the world is extraordinarily better than it was just a couple centuries ago. For example, let's take a look at poverty. Even the Bible says that the poor will always be with you. It's customary to see poverty as this unsolvable, uns there's no solution that organizations like the World Bank might as well try boiling the ocean to overcome poverty. And yet statistics show it's getting better. Massive gains have been made in reducing extreme poverty, particularly in the last 50 years. Some countries that are now rich were poor just a few dozen years ago. Amid the fury of bad news in the media, it's easy to miss how far and how fast we've come as the media is obsessed with, with reporting events where things have gone wrong, it's easy to overlook this fact. This is a fact. Every single day since 1990, on average, there are 130,000 people fewer in extreme poverty every day. Every single day since 1990. Let's talk about literacy. The education story is very encouraging. Data shows that the share of the world's population that is literate over the last two centuries has gone from a tiny elite in the world where eight out of 10 people now, today, can read and write. The Gutenberg Press, the Reformation, the majority of the greatest educational institutes were founded by Christians. 
Let's take a look at health. In the 1800s, more than 40% of the world's newborns died before the age of five. 40%. Now only a tiny fraction died before the age of five. Why is that? Modern medicine has helped, particularly the discovery of germs. But even more important, the improvements in housing, sanitation, and diet. Hospitals, the greatest in the world, founded by Christians. Because of these Judeo-Christian ideals, right? They are predicated on the Ten Commandments. Those are facts. So how is it possible? I want you to think about this for just a moment. How is it possible that suicide rates are through the roof? Anxiety and depression seems completely unmanageable. The majority of Americans today are medicated in some way. How is it possible that materially we're the richest in all of human history and yet we seem to be morally bankrupt? We seem to be morally bankrupt. You take a look at the COVID pandemic and the social upheaval of 2020 to today. Has everything changed in just two or three years? Well, the answer is yes and no. The facts haven't changed, but the narratives definitely have. So you have to start, especially as a Christian, right? Especially if we're, dis- if we're discussing the truth, you have to ask the question, why is it that we're more materially wealthy today and yet more morally bankrupt and unhappy than we've ever been? Well, I think there's some reasons. I think it's because we're ungrateful. And I want to talk about that for just a minute. We're ungrateful. I believe that judgment starts in the house of God. We have to remove the logs from our own eyes so that we can help serve others. That's from Jesus. Why are we so ungrateful? I think one of the reasons we're ignorant. I think sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. And what we're learning in this, in this series is that God has not called us to be naive. God's called us to be engaged. I think sometimes we're willfully blind. In other words, we refuse to give God credit for the great things in our life because everything's not perfect the way we think it should be. We refuse to be honest. We've got to choose to be honest about where we really are. I think sometimes, too, we're really resentful. This is a big thing. I'm going to talk about some of this today. As a result, right, like when we don't get our way, we get resentful. And we just want to, like a two-year-old, just trash everything. Come on, anybody. It's this idea of equity versus equality. Resentfulness causes you to expect a similar outcome, right, without putting in the similar work and commitment. And I think as believers, before we start talking about the war on truth, we need to just take a deep breath in. Everyone do it. Come on. Let it out. It's not that bad. You are blessed. You're able to come to church. Our brothers and sisters in China can't do that. You are blessed. There are places in the world where while we're going to our parties and enjoying time with loved ones, believers are being persecuted and crying out, God, come now. I just think that settling that in our heart allows us to engage topics like the truth and culture with just a little more humility and a little more grace. That's what I want to challenge you to do as we go into the war on truth. What do you think of when you hear the word truth? Probably a lot of things. What do you mean when you say truth? You know, the truth is incredibly complicated, and yet at the same time, very, very simple. No other creation is as complex and complicated as human beings are, and this is why. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, 
and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Unlike any other thing that God made, we're conscious and we're self-aware. As we talk about truth, I think it's important. There's a couple things I want to hit here because there are really two dimensions of truth and I want to be very specific in what I'm talking about. You and I, unlike any other creature, we are moral creatures. We are created with a moral code. We can be presented, like God said, with life and death and we can actually choose of our free will. We're not just slime plus time, right? We're fashioned and made in the image of God. It's what makes you different than the beasts, right? That I hunt every October. Come on. There's a reason why I always win. There's a reason why God placed us here. We can make decisions. We can, we can see patterns and we can make changes. That's uniquely human. We can think about what we're thinking about and change our life. Animals can't do that. Other lower reptiles and mammal, they can't do that. We're very, very unique. When we talk about truth, there are two dimensions of truth. There's what is, and then there's what you ought to do. Very important. Those are different. And many people trying to manipulate, push you into a certain way of thinking, they conflate those two things as if they're the same. They're absolutely not the same. Just because something is doesn't mean you ought to do something. For example, the chair you're sitting in, you're all sitting right now, right? That chair is, it's, it is whether you're sitting in it or not. So why are you sitting in it and why do you stand up during worship when you could be sitting in it? <laughs> You see, there's a difference between this material world and what is and then what you ought to do with what is. And, and here's the thing for people. You want to be real careful with this. Just because something is doesn't mean you ought to do it. We all know this, right? I mean, you want to go to a rated R movie. Come on. You're too young. You ask your mom or your dad, hey, can I go to that movie? And they say, no, you're too young. And you say, yeah, but so-and-so gets to go. What does mom say? Well, if so-and-so told you to jump off a bridge, would you do it too? Even mom knows there's a difference between what is and what you ought to do. We're talking about what you ought to do. We're talking about in light of what is, sure, maybe they're related, but they are different. What you ought to do. What I want to do is I want to give you a hierarchy of truth. Now, we don't really like this word hierarchy, okay? It's gotten a bad rap, but as you know, hierarchy literally runs our world. You could use another word called order, okay? Order helps us. Hierarchies are a great blessing. For example, there's a, there's a hierarchy in your relationship with God, the Ten Commandments, right? How you relate to God, the first four, determines how you relate to people, the next six. The number 10 is the number of test. The number six is the number of man. It's what you do. Hierarchies are incredibly important. There's hierarchies in your family. I'm sorry, but if you're married and you treat your spouse just like they're any other person, well, you're not going to be married very long because they're not just any other person. Do you treat your kids just like you treat anyone else's kids? Hierarchies run the world. They're a very, very good thing. You could almost say not only are they order, but they're a system or a framework for how you think. And what I want to do today, listen, the truth is complicated. I'm going to tell you why. But I'm going to help you with a biblical hierarchy that helps you understand what is true and what is not. Because the very fabric 
of reality, of truth, things that human beings have been settled on for thousands of years, right, are completely being deconstructed and thrown up into the air. And it's important as a Christian, you understand what's the biblical ideology, not far right, not far left. What's the biblical ideology or worldview in which I determine what I ought to do? That's what we're going to talk about. The first was really the foundation. This is interesting because hierarchies, I'm going to build a pyramid. Put the first one in, absolute truth for me on the screen. It's interesting because when most people think of hierarchy, they think top down, but it actually is bottom up. It's a blessing. If you do it God's way, you can build, like Jesus said in Matthew, like you can build your life on the rock and win, not if the storms come against it, it will stand the test of time. You know what's great about truth? It's true whether you believe it or not. Right? It's true whether you believe it or not. The foundation of truth we see in Scripture, we're going to call it absolute truth. This is the truth that is universal. It's the meta-truth underneath every other truth. It's the truth that does not bend. It does not break. You try to break it, it will break you. It's the absolute truth of God. They're clear and they're self-evident. We see them in the ten Commandments. I want to encourage you this week. If you don't know the Ten Commandments, you should know the Ten Commandments. They serve as the foundation of what is good, what is moral, what is just. The Bible actually teaches that if you don't do them perfectly, you're not good, moral, or just. Somebody called Jesus good, but not God. Jesus goes, none is good, but God. Jesus is the only one who is completely completely fulfilled every single one of these commandments. That's why we need Jesus. They don't cease to be true, though. You know, when somebody says, hey, why are you going to heaven? And they say things like, well, because you're a good person. The absolute truth is what a good person means. You know what the believer knows? (laughs) I'm not a very good person. I read down that list, and wow, I stumble, I fall. This is, we just took communion today. This is the purpose of the body of Christ broken for us. It's why we take, there's a representation of the forgiveness we get, of the healing we receive, of the power. In the beginning, God made men and women. Made. The Bible says that there's another step when we receive Christ. There are people who are made in the image of God. They reflect a picture of God. Then there are people born of the Spirit of God. Did you know you graduate when you give your life to Christ, to a much better standing with God? You're no longer just an image bearer. You are now begotten. Just as Jesus was begotten into the world, the first born of the resurrection, you're now a son or daughter of God. Not everyone in the world is a son or daughter of God. People have this idea. Oh, well, everybody who's born into humanity, no, they're images. Okay? We're adopted into the family of God through the Holy Spirit and the sacrifice of Christ. They're clear. They're self-evident. It's interesting when you look at the Ten Commandments in Exodus. I said this earlier. Ten is a number of testing. It's a number of testing. And anyone who's honest, especially the believer who's confessed Christ, you know that you failed that test. There's many in the world that don't want that test, but they're going to stand before God, and that is his standard for all truth, all justice, and all morality. Romans 2.15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their conscience confirms this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even, or either excuse or even excuse them. 
What it's saying is, is we think that these are ten commandments. That, that, that original word is a little misleading. They were actually called ten statements. They were axiomatic truths. Our founders would have described them as self-evident truths. Meaning that human beings, since the beginning of time, Cain and Abel, the firstborn people, right? They were acting these out even though they couldn't fully articulate them. That's what it's saying here in Romans. It's the, the, the meta-truth, the underlying truth. The first four relate to how you connect with God. The six relate to how you relate to man. They form a cross. You see, you can never love people without making sure that your relationship with God is right. That's absolute truth. It serves as the foundation. It doesn't change no matter how much we want it to. It's still the standard of good. Built on top of that is something called principled truth. If the absolute truth is the letter of the law, principled truth is the spirit of the law. It's how it's applied from there. I want to talk a little bit about this because this spirit of truth, it's important because this is how we actually apply the moral law to our life, absolute truth. Principled truth looks like this. Is it wrong for a police officer to shoot an unarmed person, whether criminal or not? Yes. Is it also wrong to murder a baby in the womb? Yes. Both are based on the principle of thou shalt not murder. Is it wrong? Is it wrong to murder animals and eat them because of the commandment? No, this commandment was given to people, right? You don't murder animals, you kill them and eat them. It's different. As you know, there's a difference in uh, this commandment with, with killing and murder. There's a difference. Murder is the shedding of innocent blood, period. Killing, there are times in the Bible to protect your family, to take up arms against tyranny. There are times, right? How a Christian can be a pacifist, I just don't understand. We have responsibility. That's principled truth. The big issue in the early church was circumcision and eating meat sacrificed to idols. They had to work out, okay, What's, the, what's, what's, what's absolute? What can we build principles on? What are we going to keep and what aren't we going to keep? And the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul went at it, right? This is what they decided in Acts chapter 15, verse 19. Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for, these, for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. They were arguing about whether or not grown men should be circumcised. Talk about a steep price to joining the body of Christ, they're literally arguing about it. They're like, I don't even think they can be a part of the church. I think they've got to get circumcised. For all of you who don't know what that is, make sure you've got a blocker on your internet and then Google it. <laughs> I'm saying, they literally came to this judgment. No, that's a, that's, a, that's a barrier. That's not. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality. By the way, that's the broadest term for sexual, for, for sexual perversion. He went broad for a reason. We want to get really close to the line. The Bible says flee from it altogether. Get as far as you possibly can. We want to know how far is too far. God says too far. Abstain <laughs> from sexual morality and from eating anything that has been strangled and from the blood, possibly a hygienic thing that they saw there. I like my steak extra rare. I don't think that that's violating the moral law. But based on principle, you idol worship when you eat the food offered to them. These were these big parties. They said, stop that. When you participate and you worship them, there was a lot of sexual activity. They said, stop that. That's why sexual morality is connected, right? And then they said, circumcision is out. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, right? Okay, so you have principled truth. 
If you remove absolute truth from principled truth, you get really confused. And this is where a lot of believers get weird. They start saying things like, well, church should only be on Saturday. Says who? The principle is every, sixth, every seventh day, Sabbath, rest, right? Doesn't say exactly what day. What's the principle of the Sabbath? You should set aside one day to come to church, to serve other people, to get yourself out of yourself and caring and building the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. Then all the stuff you worry about will be added to you, right? It's not before. The principle truth is you need to prioritize the Sabbath. That's what church is, Right? People get weird about things. You know, do you celebrate Easter? You know, it's a pagan holiday. And you celebrate Halloween because it worships the devil. I personally like both. I'll use the Easter bunny just like I'll use Halloween to reach as many people for Jesus as possible. I'll put Santa Claus in the, in the comments. <laughs> you get weird when you start kind of going, okay, wait a minute. That, that's not principled truth based on the moral law. It's not principled truth. If I was worshiping the devil, well, that would violate the first and second commandment. Does that make sense? So there's, then there's subjective truth. This is built on top of it. This is important because we're building up. Anything underneath that gets messed up or out of order, you're going to be confused. So on top of absolute truth, you build principled truth. Then based on the principles, you have subjective truth. You could call this situational truth. Have you ever encountered a situation where there are several good options? You're not, you don't quite know which one to go on. Right? Proverbs really helps us with this type of truth. It's like the difference between somebody who's foolish Somebody who's wise and the person who can't tell the difference helps us with that. It's not necessarily directly connected to absolute truth, but it's how you and I interact with others. It's, it's, it's what we should do, what we ought to do. There are many options, but none violate the absolute, the letter of the law or the spirit of the law. Ephesians 4.31 The Apostle Paul says to the church, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. We all agree that there's absolute truth. We all agree to what it is. We operate based on its principles, and then, and only then, you and I can walk in unity. This culture is the exact same way. Every single civilization from the beginning of time to be civilized, to be organized, had to determine what was truth at some basic level. Then they had to build onto that. What do those principles look like in our culture? How are they fleshed out? And then how do they actually relate to how we interact with one another? What's the relational truth? Built on top of that is personal truth. This is what is okay for me, but not okay for you. Now, this is the beauty of the Bible. If we build it God's way, we are all going to be different. Talk about diversity. This is how you get it. This is how you benefit from how every one of us were made different and unique. You build your life on the moral law, the absolute truth. You build principles and the subjective, how you relate to each other. But you know, each and every one of us have preferences. We have things that we like. We have things we should avoid. Look what the apostle Paul says in Romans 14, but whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats because if eating is not from faith and everything that is not from faith is sin. Here's what the apostle Paul's saying. Remember the rule? They can eat whatever they want. They said that. But you know what? Even though we made that principle, if you still feel like it's wrong for you, don't do it. That personal truth's important. And the Bible says that it's a sin to be drunk or to be a lover of much wine, which a lover of getting drunk on wine. 
doesn't say anything about abolishing all alcohol, although I'd be very, very wise in our culture with, with it. Here's what it says. For some people, man, I'm just telling you, you got a history going back five generations of addiction to alcohol. You know what? Probably not a great idea that you drink. But does that mean that nobody can ever visit a winery again? Does that mean that that's the devil's potion? No, it doesn't. You see what I'm saying? It's personal truth. You have a certain conviction about something. Yeah, that may not be, you know, the same as someone else's. You know, people like different music, too. Some people like drums. Some people still like the organ. Some people like different. This is the beauty and the diversity of the body of Christ. When our lives are built on absolute truth, right, on principled truth, subjective truth, we can be different. Now, I want to talk a little about personal truth because this is actually the truth that's causing a lot of confusion in our world today. First of all, they're deconstructing every other level. First, by throwing out God. There's only one place you can put in, in, in place of the Ten Commandments, and that's government. That's historical. Look at the history. All people who've abandoned God have replaced God with government. Every single one of them. That's the history of our world. Okay, so when you remove it, here's what happens. If personal truth becomes the highest standard, you have what's called Gnosticism. I'm going to explain this just a little bit um, because this is actually what's happening. Gnosticism is this idea um, that, that truth is limited to a certain number of people. It's not universally. You can't discover it universally. There's some truth that's hidden from the individual. We recently went through the book of 1 John together, and we took a lot, talked a lot about truth in that series. I want to encourage you, if you haven't listened or weren't apart for an unmistakable series, we talked a lot about this, but one of the things that the apostle John was contending with was the Gnostic heresy. The Gnostics had a lot of crazy ideas and an even worse theology, but one of their claims was that truth was special, that it was only revealed to certain people, and now we see that happening today. Here are a few ways that you, you will encounter this, and this is a dimension of personal truth, okay? This idea of personal truth being uh, supplanting, right, absolute truth. We see ethnic Gnosticism. Ethnic Gnosticism says that you cannot even access certain truths unless you come from a particular ethnic background. That's what it says. You can never understand truth because you're not my color, because you don't come from my background. Okay, another is gender Gnosticism. It's where people claim that you can't even access particular truths unless you're a particular gender. And that's even if you still believe that gender is binary. Not to mention the truth about gender being fluid or ever-changing. This is one of the big issues in the abortion debate, where extreme feminists think that if you're male, you can't even access the requisite truth necessary to even talk about abortion. That's not true. Thou shalt not kill. Murder is the word, forgive me. Thou shalt not murder. And then there's circumstantial and situational Gnosticism, right? And these are people that think that you can't even access truth unless you've been in a particular situation. Now, I do agree that you may not be able to understand where people are coming from. It may be difficult for you to empathize with somebody, but absolute truth is available to everyone. The principles built on that are available to everyone. This is why it's so important as we talk about truth. And I'm going to come back to this because we're going to get a little bit more specific into issues of family, into issues of education, into issues of government. It's important that you understand that as a believer, here's how it works. You live your life with the filter of God's word. 
filtering through every single thing in your life. Our life experience, our lived experience may inform us about certain things, but the word of God transforms us. Now I want to talk about some ditches and I'm out of time. I'm going to go a little long. I hope that's okay. doesn't matter. I'm going to anyways. Okay. When you're on the road, what do you want to avoid to get from point A to point B? The ditch. You want to avoid the ditch. I've put the center line. Okay. And I'm going to talk about a couple ditches. Okay. Remember ideology is how you think. Okay. We are to have a biblical ideology or worldview. Okay, but if we're not careful and we're not paying attention, sometimes we can begin to swerve off into a ditch. The Bible is an excellent guardrail, okay? But you can jump the guardrail if you're so determined because God sets before you life and death and gives you the choice on where to steal your car. Now, I'm gonna talk about the far right ditch for just a minute. This is when you add anything to the moral law. You add on top of the law. The Pharisees were professionals at this. They added multiple regulations onto the law. It was too much order. Today in the church, you might call these fundamentalists. They're people who picket gay funerals and are just overly, really, really mean and aggressive to culture. Like they're just always yelling at culture. Always. They're thumping people in the face with the Bible. Okay? This is using truth as a club. Another way you can see this is tradition over theology, okay? The guitar or the organ, or no music at all, speaking in tongues or not speaking in tongues, right? Big church, small church, all right? Titus 3.9, the apostle Paul writes to this leader and he says, avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law because they are unprofitable and worthless, unprofitable and worthless. What does the far right ditch look like politically? We see this in extreme nationalism, which leads to fascism and Nazism. Some nations are, uh, some, some, uh, so, so this is the idea of a Christian nation versus a nation of Christians. The idea that Jesus should be on the ballot. I hate the culture. If he's not on the ballot, I'm not voting. Well, friends, Jesus has never been on the ballot. And when I read my Bible, he even used wicked people like Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, I'm just saying, like if, if that's kind of your posture, you, you could be kind of in the far right ditch. If you're waiting for Jesus to be on the ballot, first of all, he's a conquering Jewish king. He's never going to be on your ballot. He hung the stars in the sky, put the moon and the sun in place. You don't get to vote on Jesus. He's not coming back, by the way, to establish a Republican democracy. Okay, historically, that's the best system with sin that we've got. Okay, but Jesus is coming back as a conquering Jewish king to establish a theocracy on the mount in Jerusalem. That's what he's coming back as. And so you just got to be careful with some of that. When you're thinking through your faith, understand this side of heaven, like we're going to have some problems. Okay. We're going to have to deal with some Nebuchadnezzars, right? With some Artaxerxes, right? With some Caesars. We're going to have to deal with some of those people, but God will put us in positions of influence like he did with Esther, like he did with Daniel, like he did with the three Hebrew children, like he's done in almost every Bible story since the beginning. He puts us in places to be watchmen, to guide and to lead. Romans 12, 2, do not be confirmed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God? So you have the far right ditch. Everyone with me? Here's the far left ditch. That's the one our culture finds itself in today. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? But today, we're certainly in the far left ditch, even in the church. The far left ditch completely destroys order. You disregard the moral law and you make yourselves God. In the Bible, these weren't the Pharisees. These were the Sadducees. They existed. This is not a new battle. 
The Sadducees were very liberal in how they related to God. But you know, the Bible doesn't really say what it says. I think you could interpret it. By the way, if you need a theology degree to understand what the Bible says, you're, you're making it way too complicated. God could have chosen to give the word to anyone. He didn't choose theologians, politicians, or intellectuals. He chose fishermen. Do you know why? Because they have fish guts on their hands and they know how to get things done. Amen. Right? If, it, if, you're over, if it's so complicated that you can't take a step, you're reading it wrong and making it too complicated. Right? Today in the church, we see this postmodern nihilism, woke culture, entire denominations breaking over truth, allowing a homosexual, transgender agenda to infiltrate their church and their doctrine, redefining Christian orthodoxy, the definition of love being separated from God, right? Churches politics all the time, or not at all. All those churches are in, are in decline, by the way. Every single one of them are dying. And yet our 830 just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Church is politics all the time or not at all. It's not like that. Luke 6, 26 says, Woe to you, not woke to you, when all people speak well of you. For this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. Delay politically, right? Today politically, the far left resorts in the opposite, which is, looks a lot the same to its extremes, is fascism, Marxism, communism, socialism. The insane left, by the way, has killed more people than the right. 60 million in the Soviet Union, 100 plus million in Mao's China. Right? It does. It, it says that everyone's racist. Every man is a misogynist, especially if he's white. The entire system is corrupt. Let's just throw it away. Can I ask you a question to those people? What's your alternative? So it's gone one day. What's your alternative? Guess what? You know what their alternative is? To be your God. You know what the alternative is? It's not nuclear families. It's the government being your family. The government can never do what God has not designed it to. 2 Timothy 3.1, but know this, hard times will come in the last days for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanders, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good. Traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. Avoid these people. So how does this relate to our conversation about the truth? Here's the danger of ideology as we close. Here's the danger of you not being tethered to scripture. Here's the danger of the ditch. The first is this, ideologies oversimplify complex issues. They love to throw whole groups of people in one, one bucket so that they can essentially commit violence against them. Biblically, you may find yourself on the left or the right on different issues. Ideologies divide and conquer. They divide and conquer. They're not about solving problems. They're about wielding power. Biblically, you may find yourself causing division among brothers and sisters if you become untethered from the word. Ideologies become idols. There's only one substitute for absolute truth. It's you, and that's an idol. And ideologies will always fail. You will always fail. They never, ever work. And as we continue our conversation talking about complex issues through a biblical lens, we need to be very careful. And we also need to make sure that we identify where we are because every one of us lean a certain way. Every one of us, if we're not careful, we can be way too fundamentalist, adding to the very simple 10 things that God gave us. He didn't give us 5,000. He gave us 10. It's that simple. 
Uh, We can also find ourselves leaning the other way, thinking that we can love people better than God can love people. And we get off into all kinds of weird things when that happens. I want to close with this passage and I'll pray for you. James 1, 25. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom, everyone say freedom, and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. We need to always keep the Bible as our compass and our north. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your word. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our church family. I pray, Father, that you would continue to speak to us through your Holy Spirit this week about where we may fall. Maybe we've taken our eyes off of the mirror of your word and we've allowed ourselves to veer into a ditch. I pray that you would convict us by your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that that conviction would lead to repentance and we would get back on the road where we're supposed to be. I also pray, Father, for anybody in here that doesn't know you, I pray that they would know you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, we're almost done. If you're in here today and you don't know God, maybe you've walked with God at some point, but you're not walking with him today. Here's what I would tell you. Your life will never be what, you, what it was created to be apart from your creator. You simply cannot find truth, fulfillment, and purpose apart from the one who made you for those things. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that the way to get right with God isn't to perfectly uphold the moral law, the absolute law, but it's to put your faith in the one who did so that you can. His name's Jesus. The Bible says that through the act of free will, by confessing him as your Lord, believing what the Bible says about him is true, that he died for your sins on the cross, that he rose in resurrection power, you can be saved. But it's not through your strength, it's through his, and it's through lordship that salvation and righteousness result. And if you're in here today, and you've been on the fence, trying to live one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom, it's impossible. Jesus demands everything from you, but it's the best life you'll ever live. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're in here today, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna single you out. I'm not gonna do anything weird. But Jesus does say in the scripture that the person who confesses him before men, he'll confess before the Father, but the one who won't, he won't. Between me, you, and God, I think it's important if you're far from him that you acknowledge that so I can pray for you. If that's you, would you just put your hand up about halfway and put it right back down? Is anybody in here to say, Pastor, that's me. I'm far from God, I don't wanna be. Is there anyone else before we change you with a service? You say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. I see you. You're never the only one, by the way. Thank you. In a moment, we're going to pray a prayer. I'm going to lead you in, and I want to encourage you, if you raise your hand, to say it just loud enough where you can hear yourself and let it be an expression of what God's doing in you right now. He's going to tell you to do something. My encouragement to you is to take that step. We're going to also give you next steps, but the very first step you need to take is this act of free will, confessing him as your Lord and Savior. Church, we believe in what they're doing. We're going to pray this prayer with them so as to encourage their faith. Let's all pray together. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are good, and I believe you're God. I believe on the third day after you were killed, I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you conquered death to give me life today of my own free will. I choose that life. I make you my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Lead me and guide me. Show me what's next. Today, I am new and I'm yours. It's in your name that I pray. And everybody said, 
Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's put our hands together.